The Gospel of John, chapter 6, if you would. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. Going through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings. And we have been in this chapter for a couple of weeks. And I want to give you just a closing thought. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll move on to the next chapter. I'll not preach a lot this morning because of my voice. But John chapter number 6, if you would, begin reading with me in verse number 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. He said, therefore, said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Let's bow our heads for just a moment and have prayer. Heavenly Father, I've enjoyed the spirit of the church service this morning. I've certainly enjoyed the singing. Though I'm not able to sing along, in my heart there is a song. Thank you, Lord, for the good music that we've enjoyed. Thank you for these people that have come out to worship you and to hear the word this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd help me. I pray that you'd touch my voice for just a little bit. The message that I have, I believe, is is very needed. It's very important. Lord, you know that in my heart I struggle whether I should preach this this morning or another time, but I believe this is the passage. This is the message for this hour. You know who's here. You know the need of every heart. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd not only touch my voice, but you'd touch our ears, that we'd be able to listen. And we hear what you have to say to us. If there's somebody in this room this morning that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that today is the day that the Holy Spirit shows them their need of Christ, that they place their faith in you and have their sins forgiven. If there's a believer in this church, Lord, that is somehow offended in their heart at some of the hard sayings of Christ, some of the hard things that you put into our life. I pray that we'd leave saying, to whom shall we go? I pray that you speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name and amen. If you and I could imagine what it must have been like to have heard Jesus preach in the flesh. If we could have somehow been on a mountainside or in one of the synagogues when he opened up a scroll and began to expound the scripture. 
I don't know if there would have been anything spectacular or spellbinding about his delivery per se. But the force of his words would surely have a great impact upon our soul. The Bible says that they marveled at his doctrine. uh, That he spoke as one having authority. That um, never a man spake like this man. There are some men that have that ability. They have the ability to move people with their words. In fact, preaching itself is intended to be persuasive, though most preaching doesn't persuade of anything. I admit I preached many times and didn't persuade anybody of anything. Didn't move anybody to do anything except moved out the door. I've done that many, many times. But when Jesus preached, people were either moved to put their faith in him or to want to rise up and crucify him. But for one, they didn't leave neutral. You didn't listen disinterestedly and leave neutral. You you were moved to want to do something. Preaching should move you to want to do something. And by the way, preaching should not always make you feel good about yourself. Ever once in a while, the word should cut to the quick and wound the spirit. If you enjoy every message that you hear, you might need another preacher because every once in a while, the word is offensive. Every once in a while, truth is going to upset you. It's going to offend you. It's going to rub you the wrong way. That's okay. Now, granted, there are some preachers who pride themselves on being offensive, but that's just because they're just full of pride. But if you preach truth, then somebody is going to be offended. We have been in this passage for several weeks now, and chapter 6 began on the mountainside with Jesus feeding the multitude, the feeding of the 5,000, greatest miracle outside the resurrection in the Gospels. And then it moves to Capernaum the day after a great crowd has followed Jesus and they have followed him and found him in a synagogue. And he gives them this very long dialogue that we call the bread of life discourse. And from the very beginning, we saw that Jesus let them know that you have not come here for the right reason. You are here for the wrong reasons. He tells them that that you're only here looking for another miracle. You're looking for another handout. You're only here for what I can give you, not for what you can give me. And and, and he breaks one of the cardinal rules of homiletics, and that is don't offend your audience right away. (laughs) Well, that's what he does. If I would have have come in here and and said... um, uh, you're, you're a generation of vipers and a bunch of snakes and, and you wouldn't know God if he walked in the back door. Well, you'd probably just tune me off right away. But that's basically what Jesus does. He's not just being offensive. He's, he's being truthful. Because before a man can get any help, he has to admit that he needs some help. Would you agree with that? I had a kid texted me this week just wanting to argue. It's all he wanted to do. And saying that I'm judgmental and I'm evil and he doesn't know the half of it. I'm not his problem. I'm not his problem. He's his problem. And until he comes to grips with his own faults and, and the fact that he is the one that needs help, he'll never get it. So Jesus is not just being rude, but he's not going to soft, soft soap anything just to get you to like him. Look what he says. In verse number 60. Verse number 59, these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. 
Many therefore of his disciples when they heard this said, this is an hard saying. Who can hear it? And I thought that would make a good sermon series. The hard sayings of Christ. Because did you know that most of what Christ said in the gospels is a hard saying to the unbeliever? It is. And if you would understand the words of Christ, then you have to come to him with a submissive heart, willing to bow down to his word. If you're not interested in truth, if you're not willing to to have the Bible be your authority, then you're going to read a lot of hard things in the word of God. There's a lot of hard sayings in the Bible. In fact, most Christians, when they try to read the Bible, they try to fit it into the worldly philosophy that they have bought into. It's really hard to bring the Bible in line with contemporary thought. And if you, if you think the Bible is just going to help you justify a worldly philosophy and ungodly living and compromising Christianity, then there's a lot of this Bible you're going to have a hard time swallowing. There's hard sayings of Christ. So sometimes the sayings of Christ are hard because they're taken out of context. The unbeliever is fond of reading half of a verse. Judge not. Doesn't know there's another part to that verse. Just knows those two words. Or, or, or ignoring the verse before the verse after it and twisting it around. And, and if you don't care about the context, but if you care about context, there's going to be, like I said, I had this kid arguing with me and, and he texted me, but just right out of the blue, he texted me a verse. And the verse was, let, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or, or, or Sabbath day or hold, you, you know, the verse, meat or drink. And, and he was using that verse to justify drinking. And so I texted him back. I said, are you drinking? Because only a drunk would think that verse has anything to do with alcohol. I mean, read the context of the verse, right? And I'm just saying that some sayings are hard because they're taken out of context, but some sayings are hard because they correct us. Have you ever been rebuked by the Bible? Huh? Have you ever read any of the Bible that you didn't particularly enjoy? I'm not, I'm not talking about the preacher. I'm talking about the Bible, the Bible. Lord, Lord, I'm reading this and I'm trying to explain it away or put it in another dispensation because if it means what I think it means, then I am wrong. My attitude, my, my spirit toward my brother, and you get under such conviction that, that, that you just bow to the word. And then when you bow to the word, that saying that was so hard, it's not so hard after all, is it? Oh, the hard, the hard. I wanted to preach on that this morning. I really did. The hard sayings of Christ. Well, what's the hard sayings of Christ that they're talking about? Well, back up here just real quick to verse 52. And I'm not going to re-preach what I preached last week. The Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? The hard saying is him saying that he is the bread of life and that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to have life. Now granted, that, that is hard, isn't it? For sure, that, that's a hard saying. In fact, that's shocking. And if you don't stick around long enough to hear him explain that, you're not going to understand that. He'll expound that. But if you just hear that and just walk away, and, and, and here's what I love. Here's what I love. I love how that when Jesus makes that statement in verse 51, and then in verse 52, they start arguing about it, he didn't backpedal. 
If you read the, you read the rest of the verses, he doesn't back down and try to soft pedal it down. No, he, he just, oh, was that tough? He just doubles down on it. And then he doubles down on it again. I mean, you, re, you read verse 53, 54, 55, 56. I mean, he, he just keeps twisting it in and twisting it in. Some preachers, whenever they feel like they're, they're touching a sensitive subject, they start apologizing. Huh? If you got to apologize for the message, then why give the message? Jesus just doubled down and, and he touched a nerve and he just kept twisting the knife and he, you didn't like what I said? How about I say it again? That's, that's what he did. Yeah. And, and notice, notice what it says in verse 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves. The words of Christ cause contention. Disagreement. It started an argument. They strove among themselves. People have contention all the time about the words of God. Well, he didn't mean that. Well, that's what he said. Well, you didn't hear it right. I think it means something else. You know what this book will do? It'll cause divisions. It'll cause contentions. Come, come, Come verse 61. Verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? If you try to be a disciple of Christ, I'm going to tell you, church, that there are some things that God says and there are some things that God may put into your life that you don't understand but I don't want to ever murmur against God. God, this is hard. I didn't sign up for this. You didn't tell me it'd be this way. I don't ever want to have that attitude. What I want to do is I want to go to him and say, I don't understand. So would you help me understand? Would you show me what I don't see? Would you show me what I'm not understanding? And just because I don't understand what God says or something that God puts into my life is hard, it does not give me a right to rise up and murmur against God. I know this passage in, in John 6. I, I know this passage is over the top and, it, and it's hard for them to swallow. And, and I know that they don't understand. And to them, it is offensive and it's offsetting. I understand that. But their issue, their issue is that it's not a hard saying just because it's hard to understand. It's a hard message because it's not the message that they wanted to hear. This is not the God that they wanted. This is not the thing that they've signed up for. And when God, listen church, when God sends you a message that you didn't want to hear, you can respond with a murmuring heart or a submissive spirit. It's a hard saying and they murmured against God. How many times, how many times have you and I sat in a church service and the spirit of God sent a message to us through a preacher, through a song, whatever it might be, and our hearts bowed up against God and said, that's not the message that I came to hear. I came to hear, I came to hear how good I am. I came to hear, hear, hear how moral that I am. I came to hear something positive. I came to hear smooth words and, and smooth platitudes. And every message of God is not a negative one. Please understand, I'm not saying that at all. It doesn't mean that every time that God speaks that it is offensive, not, not at all. But don't murmur at the message. 
That there is life in the words of Jesus if this crowd will just accept what he said. But they turned away. And when they turned away, they were turning away from the gift that God had given them. It's as if God is saying in John chapter 6 that I have prepared bread for you. Bread from heaven. This is my son. I have prepared a body for him. I have sent him down to you as the bread of life. This is my gift from heaven for you. And if you receive him, you'll have everlasting life and you have forgiveness of sins. And they walked away from me. Hard sayings, hard sayings. And what Jesus asked them, verse 61, he said, doth this offend you? You ever been offended at God? Something God said? Something that God did? You know what I found? I found that every one of us have offended God. Yeah. You. Me. We have offended God. Let's listen to this. Romans 5. For if through the Offense of one. Many be dead. What's he talking about? The sin of Adam. It's an offense is what it is. Romans 4.25. Who was delivered for our offenses. That's what our sins are. It's an offense against God. For whosoever should keep the whole law and yet offend in one, he is guilty of all. Can I tell you that my sin and your sin has offended God? Would to God that we would see our sin as offensive to God Almighty? All the feelings that well up inside, even when somebody defends you, anger and displeasure, whatever it might be, that's what our sin does to the heart of God. But God, instead of striking out in anger and resentment and revenge and cutting us off, God responds with a message of grace and forgiveness is what it does. Oh, we've offended him. But even that message of grace and forgiveness, it's offensive to man. Because it offends a man to tell him that God's offended at you. God's not pleased with you. And what you need to do is you need to come to God for mercy is what you need to do. What do you mean? You're saying that I'm a sinner? What are you trying to say? That I'm a bad person? I mean, don't you know my list of accomplishments? Don't you know how much money I give to the church? Don't you know how many times I come to church? Don't you know that I don't cuss and I don't smoke and I don't fornicate and I don't do all of those things? The most offensive message in the world is the message of the gospel. Because the message of the gospel is that you are a sinner and you have not one point of merit to offer God. That you are a sinner and that God has offended at you. That you are hopelessly lost and you will die in your sin and you will spend an eternity in a devil's hell without Jesus Christ. That is offensive. That, do I say, look at that dying, bleeding Savior on the cross of Calvary and know that is the price that is required to pay for your sin. That is the penalty for your sin. That is how utterly vile I am and you are that God would do that to his son as a penalty for your sin. Man, hear that and they, they shrink in horror. How, how dare you say that I am that bad? Don't be offended at God. Don't murmur at God. Don't murmur against the message. He said, does this offend you? Does this offend you? And notice what he says in verse 63. He said, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The word quicken 
The word quicken means to make alive. God should judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. It's an old English word, make, make, make alive. He has just told them that they need to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. And now he says, it is the spirit, not flesh, it is the spirit that gives life. And as I said last week, we understand that flesh and blood is a metaphor. He's not telling them to come and take a bite out of his arm. He's not talking about cannibalism. We understand that. But now he says, it is my words that will give life. You feed on my word, not on my flesh. You say, well, that's a contradiction. Not if you understand it, it's a metaphor. And sometimes, so sometimes the Bible will make a hard staying saying, but if you'll stick around, the Holy Spirit will give you understanding. Some people read a hard say and they just close the Bible and say, well, I don't understand that. I don't believe that. But what you ought to do is ask the Holy Spirit to help me see what I cannot see. And all their confusion about flesh and blood and all of this has just been explained. It's not eating my literal flesh that's going to profit you. Flesh profit is nothing. It is the words. It is the words that I speak to you. The kind of life that I'm talking to you is not the physical life. It's a spiritual life is what it is. What would you think if I said you come back to church tonight and Jesus and the flesh is going to be here and we're all going to eat Jesus? Would you think I was crazy, wouldn't you? I think I'd gone off my rocker. That's exactly what the Catholic Church teaches. That as the priest takes the elements of the Holy Host and, and says a prayer over it, that it is literally transformed, transubstantiation is the word, literally transformed into the physical flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And that Christ is sacrificed again all over in your mouth when you take that. And millions of Catholics lined up this morning to eat Jesus. That's what the church teaches. But can I tell you this morning that there is nothing you can do in your flesh that pleases God. Your flesh can go to mass a thousand times. Your flesh can go to the baptistry a thousand times. But there's nothing in your flesh that's going to profit anything. Look, look what he says back here in verse number 56. He says in verse 56, this is really what got him riled. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, watch this, dwelleth in me and I in him. Now you have to understand when Jesus speaks of his flesh and his blood, he's obviously referring to the crucifixion that's going to take place in about a year from now. It's not just his living that saves people. It's his dying. It's his shedding of his blood. His body was broken and his blood is spit out for you and I. And then when when he said, eat and drink, he's talking about receiving, receiving. But, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And, and what Jesus is telling them is that, is that if you don't get me inside you, you're not going to have life. You see that? That's what he says. He says, he says, dwelleth in me and I in him. He's telling them, you are so obsessed with another meal, something to eat and drink. I'm going to accommodate the language and speak in terms that you understand. You don't need another physical meal. You need me. You need to receive me. You need to believe me. You need to have me inside of you as part of your life. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can have religion, but if you don't have Jesus, it's not going to help you. You have to have the Spirit of God dwelling inside you because there's no prophet in the flesh. You've got to have him. 
Come back to verse number 64. He says, there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. You know, one of the hardest things that I have come to grasp with as a preacher is that there are some people who simply do not believe what I preach. I, uh, I know that I preach Sundays to some, not every Sunday, but I know I preach some Sundays to some church folks who come to church once a week as a favor to God, sing along, nod their head, and carry a Bible. But in their heart, they don't really believe. These people are curious about Christ. They're, 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 they're kind of interested. They believe in his power, not in his person. They wanted to associate with him, but they didn't really believe he was the son of God. They don't really believe him. They didn't believe he was the bread of God, the bread from heaven sent from the Father. Here's what they did. They listened to him, and they picked out what they agreed with and what they disagreed with. And in the end, they walked away because they simply did not believe. Everybody believes in something. And they commit themselves to that belief. Everybody believes in themselves. What I can accomplish if I set my mind to it. If I just had the right opportunity, there's no ends to where I could go. There's other people who believe in a movement. They, 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 they latch on to some movement that there are some people who have bought into to climate change and their whole life revolves around trying to save the planet and the whales and the spotted mouse or whatever it is and, and, and bought into that, huh? There are some people, that, that is their religion. There are some people, they, they are so bought into a political party, but just the right political party gets in power or the right politician gets in power. We're going to change the world. And, and they are bought into that political persuasion. Can I tell you that whatever movement that you have bought into and given your life to in 100 years, ain't nobody going to care about? I promise you in 100 years, ain't nobody going to care about climate change. They're going to move on to another crisis. This world is so fleeting. It is so fleeting. I don't know how this happened, but last night, <coughs> last night we had, uh, had a couple of grandkids in the car, and I don't know how this came up, but somehow Marilyn Monroe came up in the conversation. <laughs> and I still can't figure out, how are we talking about Marilyn Monroe? Now, now, there was a time when Marilyn Monroe was the most popular Hollywood movie starlet that everybody in the world knew who Marilyn Monroe was. My grandkids had no idea who she was. It's how fleeting the world is. But whatever you say yourself to, whatever you give yourself to, I'm telling you, it's fleeting and it's passing. Whatever the world is selling today is old news tomorrow. He says in verse 66, he says from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. By the way, for some of you that like Bible numerology, here's the first church split in the Bible. It's in John 666. You know what that means? Nothing. All right? Absolutely nothing. You know, Jesus had more disciples than 12 apostles, right? Luke chapter 10 talks about how he sent the 70 out two by two to preach in the villages. Jesus had more than just 12. 
The 12 were the ones that he chose to be with him for those three and a half years and they would carry on his mission when he was gone as apostles. But there's more than just 12. So understand in verse 66 that these who leave are not unbelievers. They're believers is what they are. And the believers said, we're not following him anymore. We're leaving. We're all walking away. And by the way, it's not just a few, but many of his disciples went back. I don't believe like this anymore. I'm not going this way anymore. I'm not committing my life to him another day. Huh? Let me address something for our church this morning. And I, I know it's a Sunday morning crowd. I know. You come back tonight, Brother Jason's going to preach. It'll be all positive and wonderful. And all. <laughs> There's a new word, term floating around. It's called de- deconstructing your faith. People who claim to be Christians, but who decide no more. I, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And they renounce everything that they said that they believed. The Bible has a word for it, by the way. The word for the the Bible is the word apostasy. That's the Bible word. It's a popular thing nowadays among young people. That's what contemporary Christianity produces. We know even some that have grown up in our kind of church that have, now they hate their parents, they hate the church, they hate anything to do with godly living. Some of you follow them on Facebook. You're going to hurt yourself is what you're going to do. That time many of his disciples went back, walked no more with him. That's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Can I address something to our church this morning? Can I, can I just say something to you? Because I can't, I don't have a voice to preach. And if I haven't offended you, I will right now. And I don't mean to. <coughs> There's a family over the last few years became very popular on television, Christian family. Had a lot of kids, followed a man named Bill Gothard. Institutes and Bible Life Principles. It's a very conservative Christian program as I understand it. And we would probably agree with a lot, as lot, with a lot of what is taught and practiced or whatever. And let me just say, I've never read a book by Bill Gothard. I've never, read a, I've never heard a sermon by Bill Gothard. I've never been to a conference by Bill Gothard. I, I don't know exactly what he preaches. I've never watched the family series 19 kids and counting or whatever it is. I, I've never watched one episode of it, all right? So, so please understand that. But they signed on to a television producer and allowed Hollywood to come into their home and film them as a reality show, living as an ultra-conservative Christian, probably living much the same way that I live, from what I understand. But when I began to hear about it, I, I, I questioned the, the wisdom of that. Something about casting your pearls before the swine. Can I tell you the world will never, never, never understand how I live, what I believe, how I run our home. If they knew everything I believe, they'd think I'd ought to be locked up. How are you going to explain the things that we abstain from to a lost world that thrives in sin? But they trumpeted that out there. They became the poster child of Christianity in the world. But now one of the sons is in prison for child pornography. 
One of the daughters has left the faith, I suppose, found a new faith, written a book, and there's another series about something happy people, shiny. Uh, there's another series out about it, and I've not seen it. And now, instead of the world admiring them for their ultra-conservative ways, now there's shame and there's disgrace. I, I feel pity. I feel regret. I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I question the wisdom of it. And the Bible says in verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That's a sad verse, isn't it? Listen to me. Something was hard and they left. Something offended them and they quit. It was a hard saying they couldn't swallow and they walked away. And sometimes God will put some hard truth on your plate that's just hard to chew. Or sometimes God will put something in your life that is just hard to accept. It is just hard. And we are living in a generation of people that are leaving. They're leaving the Bible and they're leaving the church and they're leaving Christianity and they're leaving godly living. And by the way, it is not the devil doing it. The devil is nowhere in this passage. It is not the devil telling them that this is a hard saying and offended them. Listen to me. It is what Jesus Christ said to them that made them walk away. Why is that? He's not looking for fair weather followers who will just go with him all the way. What he's looking for is somebody that will follow him to the grave and beyond. In just a few minutes, in just a few months, he is going to the cross of Calvary and he's going to die at the hands of brutal Roman soldiers. And if Jesus had been a contemporary preacher, he would have told them how wonderful they were and how glad he was to have them on her side and they got a wonderful life that's planned for you but in a year he's going to a bloody cross he's going to die at the hand of soldiers and then that government and the Jewish state is going to start hunting them so let's see if you really follow me if you can't take the hard sayings of Jesus if you can't submit to whatever offensive thing I put in your life you'll never follow Jesus all the way. You know what this world desperately needs this morning? What this world desperately needs is somebody that says, I'm not going to be offended at Jesus. I will follow him beyond the grave. That though the many turn away, I'll still follow him. I've come too far to turn back now. I've gone down this path too far to turn around. And look what Jesus says in verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, we also go away. You start watching people leave the faith and it's easy to get discouraged. And I wonder if Jesus got weary in his spirit as he watched people start to get up and walk out. Walk out. Just walking away. And it was so many that he turned to the core group, the twelve. And I said, you're going to. Will you also go away? You know what would discourage you? When that person that you think would never quit, quits. We've had people sit in this church and shout. Don't even go to church anymore. Well, I don't know if some of you remember this. We had a meeting here one time. One night we was having church and it got high. There's people shouting. And we had a man in this church sitting right back there. Or maybe it's back here. 
He stood up and started shouting and all got in himself. And I don't think this was God. I think it was the flesh. But he grabbed a fistful of offering envelopes in the pew and threw the offering envelopes all over the place and just shouted. Last I heard, he don't even go to church anymore. He heard a heart saying, huh? will you also go away? You know, if you're going to serve God, you might have to serve him without your family. You might have to serve him without your best friend. You may have to watch people that you put great confidence blow in and blow out and you just keep on going. You know how many preachers I've known over the years that have blown up their ministry and their family and their marriage and their life and it gets discouraging, but you know what you do? You just keep going. Oh, young people, don't leave the Bible. Don't leave church. Don't leave godly living. Don't leave the truth. Don't leave the faith of the fathers. Don't leave what you've been taught. We also go away. Let me show you something here. I'm going to be done. Look at verse 70. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil, spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. This would have been a good time for Judas to have checked out. But he stuck around. And there's a word that the Bible uses for him in Luke chapter 6. It says, Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which was also the traitor. That's the word, traitor, traitor. You know that word is found only one other time in your Bible. Yeah, it's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at it if you would. Calls him a traitor. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times should come. Men should be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. The last days will be marked with people who are just like Judas, who betray everything that they've been taught, who deny everything that they say that they have believed. The Bible says that they are traitors. But come back to my text. Look at verse number 68. This is what I want to close with. Verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter gets his fair share of criticism because his flaws, his faults are out there for everybody to see. We all know how that he was impetuous and he was impatient. He was quick-tempered and brash and he was too confident of himself and he spoke too soon. We, we know that. Well, this uneducated fisherman makes one of the greatest confessions of faith in all the Bible. He says... Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Now watch this. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. An uneducated fisherman makes one of the greatest statements of faith in all the Bible. When you can say, though no one join me, still I will follow. When you can say the world behind me, the cross before me, still I will follow. 
Here this fisherman has just watched many of them walk away. Many of them walk away. And while they are walking out, Peter said, to whom shall we go? Oh, that's a good statement, isn't it? I've lived long enough in this world to know that there's nobody else to follow. What the world pursues is fleeting and is passing away and it's but a shadow that can never satisfy and can never give you peace and never give you meaning to life. Where are you going to go to for happiness and joy and peace and satisfaction? Where are you going to find the forgiveness of sins? Where are you going to find eternal life? Where are you going to find a deep peace that survives a storm of life? Where are you going to go to? Oh, you've already tried sin, haven't you? What are you going to do? Another bottle? Is that going to do it for you? Is it another drug? Is it another night out on the town? You're going to try another religion? Where are you going to go to? To whom shall I go? Here's what he says. He says, thou hast the words of eternal life. You know why I follow Jesus? Because the words that he speaks to me. No man ever spoke to my heart like this man. No man has ever spoken truth into my heart. No man has ever spoken peace into my heart like this man. I read his words on the pages of this Bible. I hear his words in the music of a song. There's nothing that fills my soul as much as these words. I'm rarely home on Sunday morning as the families get ready. I'm usually over here early. Usually about four or five o'clock in the morning. Well, this morning, because of just trying to rest, I, I stayed home and didn't come to church till 9.30 with my wife for choir practice. So I was in the house this morning as the wife is getting ready and there's music being played. And there's a song that's being played and I'm sitting at the kitchen table and I'm looking at some notes, the words that begins to speak to me. It begins to touch me. You ever notice how noisy the world is? So much commotion. The radio's always playing. The television is blaring. You can't even pump gas without them showing you a commercial at the gas station. Just constant noise, constant noise. Such vain, hollow words. But the sweetest words to my soul is when Jesus whispers, peace to my heart. Where are you going to go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. If you're here this morning and you're lost, this Bible's full of hard sayings. It's not hard sayings to understand. It's hard sayings to do. I tell you, it's a hard saying that God condemns you in your sin, that you are guilty of breaking his laws, that the penalty of death hangs over your head, that your righteousness and your morality is not counted. That's hard words. But I tell you that if you're lost, this book is full of life for you. That God loved you and your sin enough to send his son to take the penalty of death in his body on the cross. That he died, that he gave his life back to God for you as a ransom for your sin so that you don't have to die in your sin and go to hell. Listen to me, that with all of your sin. God will forgive you. He'll claim you as your child. He'll give you eternal life and a home in heaven. Where are you going to go to hear words like that? And I said, if you're a believer, this Bible's full of hard sayings. It's hard on the flesh. It's hard on carnality. It's hard on all of my pride and all of my arrogance. 
But if you'll fall in love with Jesus and if you'll submit to his sayings, you'll discover those hard sayings are not hard sayings at all. His commandments are not grievous, the Bible says. Some of you have the hardest time in the world, piano player, come. You have the hardest time having any godliness at all. Some of you, it's not hard at all. Some of you chafe and you, you bucket the conviction of his words. And some of you welcome it into your life. And I ask you, will you also go away? I promise you, there's a lot more leaving. Yes. They've been leaving since Jesus' day, and there's a lot more that's going to leave, right. and they're going to leave until Jesus comes back. But I want the Lord to know that I'm with him. I'm sticking with him. I've come too far to look for something new. Yes. 